0: sunglasses are super toxic, I would still make the case to people they're not something I would recommend wearing. In other words, I don't want people to be like in fear, like, oh my gosh, if I wear sunglasses, I'm going to die. But at the same time, if you do it chronically, it is affecting your health.
1: Welcome to wellness, your ultimate guide to unlocking your full human potential through biohacking. I'm your host, Ashley Daly. I'm a former personal trainer, Pilates instructor, and nutrition expert with a degree in kinesiology. I'm here to guide and support you in elevating the quality of your life. As a reminder, when you subscribe to this show, you're supporting my business and helping listeners like yourself find and access this health information faster. More listeners means more featured guests coming your way. I would love if you would leave me a review as this also helps boost visibility for my show. Today's guest is Matt Maruka. He's the founder and CEO of Raw Optics, a company which teaches about the essential role that light plays in health and develops advanced light therapy-based solutions. He founded Raw Optics after a decade-long personal health journey that ultimately led him to light. This discovery that we are ultimately beings of light led him to a profound interest in the nature of consciousness and existence itself. Matt, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm really stoked.
1: I want our listeners to know who have never heard about you or your company. I want them to know about your origin story. So can you walk us through that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I got in health and wellness as a teenager after spending several years, I would say, struggling and looking for answers in the conventional fields, and even with uh, naturopathic medicine. I'm going to throw on my my cool blue blocking <laughs> glasses. This is a new style. But anyway, so since people can't see me, I just put on my blue blocking glasses. Um, anyway, so I spent a ton of time researching and trying to figure out how to basically improve my health. Uh, the traditional paths of Western medicine and even naturopathic medicine sort of failed me to some extent. And so I just kept looking and thankfully I had, you know, my mother was supporting me and I, you know, I had that support from my parents. And at one point I started getting really bad breakouts of acne in high school, as many teenagers do. And so that's when I started really researching on my own rather than, you know, through the Western or even naturopathic approach that my mother had tried to take me to, I just started reading everything I could. And essentially, I came across this body of work about the paleo diet and this more natural way of living. And I thought, oh, that's pretty interesting, like a natural whole foods diet. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Eliminate the foods that stress our system. However, uh, what didn't make sense for me was that as I did the diet more and more strictly, Uh, I sort of limited myself more and more and more with the food. I actually often felt worse than when I started. So like I got an initial kind of bump from eating healthier, more healthily, but then I sort of felt like I hit a plateau and I tried to be more and more rigid and strict and stronger elimination diets. And really what it came down to is that there's this assumption in the community and in these, yeah, diet communities and worlds that if you eliminate the foods that trigger the immune system and trigger leaky gut and trigger you know autoimmunity and trigger all of this type of stuff that somehow the body will magically heal itself without uh you know just by taking the stressors off and it was sort of implied right it wasn't really ever focused on heavily in in the language it was just implied like there's this innate understanding that everyone's supposed to have, that the body's capable of healing itself. And so I was, of course, assuming the same thing, like if I was strict enough on these elimination diets that my my body would eventually heal. But it seemed like no matter what I did, I continued to struggle. And that led me to search further and come across a whole body of work about basically energetics in biology and how life is fundamentally based on energy. And that led me to realize several years later after putting more of the pieces together that one of the flaws with the approach I was taking before, the food-only approach or food-focused approach with supplements and all the diets and the elimination diets, much like what most people today are still focusing on, is that it doesn't actually necessarily improve the body's capacity to heal itself. And if somebody's innate healing capacity is broken, if you will, or severely dampened, then they could be on an elimination diet for 20 years, and they probably won't get much better, uh, which is the case with most people actually who are on these diets in the first place. In other words, the issues usually don't stem from the food. And ironically, when they claim that the food is actually healing them and it's the solution, it's actually just another cover up. It's another symptom hider, just like the Western medical drugs that that community is so against. But they're doing the same thing. They don't realize it by just hiding the symptoms. Granted, it's in a much more natural way by eliminating harmful foods, but they're not necessarily going in and stimulating the body's capacity to heal and so for some people, elimination diets work really well. But for those who don't, which was my situation, you kind of hit a dead end and you think that something's wrong with you. And that's how I felt. So anyway, that's how I got into this uh, world of light and and energy in biology.
1: I appreciate you bringing that up because it's not just a one size fits all with the food. And I can imagine mm-hmm. that would have been so frustrating that you were so frigid that you kept removing more and more foods and then felt like you were at this dead end. So I would love if you could explain a bit about the mitochondria and what they're responsible for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mitochondria are these engines, you could call them, in our cells that basically allow us to produce energy or convert energy from food into energy that our cells can use. And so the reason oxygen rusts things You know, your bike uh, chain can get rusted. Oxygen is very, it's a very unstable, I should say. It's a very strong molecule or atom, I should say. It has this tendency to steal electrons from things and has a strong pull. And so that's again, why things get oxidized. That's where that term comes from, is from oxygen. So anyway, if we're using that pull of oxygen to pull these electrons down this chain while pulling them, we're basically effectively again sucking that energy or siphoning that energy to do something positive. And so then finally, the end of this process that mitochondria carry out is that once we've taken all that energy from those electrons, the hydrogen and the oxygen meet back up and we make water. So basically where the process started was water split by sunlight, and that causes them to kind of stay in this state of suspended animation, like, oh, we're now separate because we have this sort of energy that's keeping us apart. And we basically use all that energy. And then in the end, once we've used up all that energy, hydrogen and oxygen go back together as, as friends. And that's basically the process of how sunlight energy is coming in, being basically changing the energy state of these atoms and molecules, and then life is essentially like dancing around that energy. So that's actually how what mitochondria are and how they work to the best of, of the current scientific understanding that I'm aware of.
1: What an elegant scientific explanation. I really appreciate Naturally. that deep dive. My listeners will too. I think this is a good time to ask, how is sunlight different when it hits your skin versus your eyes?
0: Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh, So there's quite a lot of different effects from both. Let's see, where do we begin? So I would talk about how when some I mean, so first of all, say it's important in both places. So we have, we know, especially from things like vitamin D, that we produce, we produce vitamin D primarily through our skin. But essentially, there's a lot of reactions that happen with the light on our skin that, for example, again, we make vitamin D. We absorb this light energy and it actually can penetrate deeply into our, into our skin and cause all sorts of really interesting things to occur biologically, uh, including increasing energy production in our mitochondria, etc. Uh, th- and this happens just with light, again, on our skin. So there's a lot of positive effects, I would say of, of light on our skin. And it's important to get out and get light on our skin. And if, cause for example, if somebody gets some light on their face and that, but they always keep their skin covered, they're probably going to be pale and potentially have some, you know, biological issues as a result of that, especially long-term uh, whether it's like, you know, back pain, bone pains, because, you know, if we don't get enough vitamin D, our bones basically start to become, disintegrated, like osteoporosis, essentially. So uh, maybe let's see if there's a way I could relate this to to an automobile. Like, you know, we could say, okay, the car, a car in its entirety is very important, right? You need the wheels, you need the body, you need the rims, the axles, the tires, and all that stuff. You need the doors so you can get in, you need the windshield and so on. So everything has its role. But for example, when you actually go to drive the car, Probably the most important piece is the the ignition, so the start button in most cars now, and then basically the gas and the brakes and the steering wheel. And I would basically say that the eyes are effectively like the ignition, the gas, the brakes, and the steering wheel all in one uh, when it comes to our body because, again, so it's not saying that the rest doesn't matter. You still need that there. But when you're actually trying to drive the car and do something, that area happens to be the one you would focus on the most. You know, you wouldn't go sit in the back seat and say, oh, this thing's going to drive itself. Um, So essentially, the reason I say that is that there's huge amounts of research on how light passing through the eyes actually affects our biology. Uh, And this is fascinating to me. There's some really great textbooks that just light through our eye can change the physiologic function of entire organs, organ systems. Uh, like it's just pretty amazing is, is what I would say. So light through our eyes sets our body's circadian rhythm, which is critical. So that's that alone we could have an entire podcast on, but basically light coming through the eyes in the morning tells the brain, hey, it's the morning, it's time to wake up. And so actually as a result, we produce hormones, neurotransmitters, and all these types of things. They're all stimulated by this morning sunlight and the timing of it. And so that's how we wake up. That's how we control our system. That, that circadian rhythm, which is controlled by light, controls our entire metabolism. Again, our hormones our neurotransmitters, which control the function of organs and uh, cells and different systems. And for example, the circadian rhythm controls when we excrete waste from our bowels, when we get thirsty, when we get hungry. Uh, when we sleep, obviously, when we wake. So there's a pretty significant role that it plays uh, across the board. And what I would say is that if someone wants to improve their circadian rhythm, and this isn't just my opinion, this is just what the research really says, is that we would want to focus on the light we're exposed to because natural light during the day is really great for our body. Blue light during the day is really great for our body. Blue light from the sun. But at night, it can be very disruptive to our sleep, to our circadian rhythm.
1: You're not able to get these benefits if you're wearing sunglasses, correct?
0: Yeah, for the most part, yes. Um, so I am i feel very fortunate. So we work with, at my company, Raw Optics, we work with one of the top scientists in the world in the field of light and light therapy, photobiology, and Whereas when I first learned about light, I was following some some experts in the field who were very um, adamant about particular things like, for example, that sunglasses are always horrible for health. And, you know, people need to sunbathe and almost overdo it with the sun. And uh, thankfully, with some different exposure, I've found my views a little bit more moderated, I think, in a very healthy and, and balanced way. And so, whereas before I would say, yes, yeah, sunglasses are super toxic, I still personally don't wear sunglasses. Uh, I don't think they're ideal, but they're not as bad as I would have probably said years ago, I don't think. But in general, I would still make the case to people that they're not something I would recommend wearing. So I don't, in other words, I don't want people to be like in fear, like, oh my gosh, if I wear sunglasses, I'm going to die. But at the same time, if you do it chronically, it, it is affecting your health. It's not a question of it will or not. It is the moment you wear them when you go outside for a few reasons. One, depending on the sunglasses, they vary, but there are no good ones that I'm aware of yet. Uh, There's a guy named John Ott who wrote a book called Health and Light. It's a really great book. And one of the things he documented in this, uh, an anecdote, was when sunglasses were first introduced to people in in Africa, in Equatorial Africa, uh, the people who the only people who could afford or have sunglasses, because it was sort of a luxury, even if they were cheap sunglasses for them, you know, the people who are just farmers couldn't pretty much afford anything from the outside world, because they just, you know, produced what they needed and barely scraped by and that was it. So some wealthier people had sunglasses and a significant portion of the people who were wearing sunglasses started to have these really severe eye problems. I don't remember exactly what they were. But basically, the person in the story who had discovered this John Ott was re- reporting on this story. It wasn't that he had gone to Africa and seen this, but he was recounting what may have caused this to happen. And it was likely that the sun, in particular, in this area was so strong. Uh, and when the sun's really strong, the eyes have to adjust to the level of the light with the uh, pupillary contraction r- reflex. Uh, the eyes have to adjust in order to let less of that light through. The issue with is sunglasses, at least some of these earlier sunglasses, and I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest, if sunglasses like this are today, just because these manufacturers, I don't think, they know very little, I should say, they know very little about how the, the eyes and these things work. And I know that because the same companies sell contact lenses, which are very harmful for our eyes because they they deprive the eyes of oxygen, uh, essentially. They, they reduce, they are trans missive to some extent because they know this is an important thing because the cornea gets its oxygen from the air actually Uh, it's one of the few tissues in the body i think it might be the only one that just derives its oxygen from the air directly so anyhow um so i'm sure being in this industry that a lot of these manufacturers and companies do not really understand how the eyes work and how light affects us so anyway i can say with a pretty strong degree of confidence a great degree of confidence i mean they also all believe ultraviolet light is always bad for us, which in excess, it can be bad, but always bad is is grossly incorrect. Uh, anyway, so the point is, when someone's wearing sunglasses, it's possible that their eyes are not adjusting correctly to the amount of radiation that's present, and that they're actually, they actually could be getting exposed to, even if the glasses block out the ultraviolet, they could be getting very, very high amounts of visible blue light, high energy visible light in the blue range, which is the high energy wavelengths that we can see. We can't see, uh, you know, ultraviolet, generally speaking. So anyway, sunglasses basically short circuit, if you will, the brain's natural and the eye's natural protective response to these wavelengths of light in the environment. And that's a big issue because then again, you know, all bets are off as far as safety goes. Like another issue is that uh, we have these inbuilt protection mechanisms. And if we short circuit those, then again, all bets are off, meaning you know if biology adapted for billions of years for us to be able to adjust our exposure accordingly to these uh, to this radiation like if you got too hot you'd go in the shade or if you felt like you wanted sun you'd go in the sun and this was kind of a natural process we're, we're throwing all of that off with things like sunglasses again in the same way or in a similar way i should say if you are wearing sunglasses and you're out sunbathing you you might not realize that you've had enough sun because one of the stimuli of the sun being too bright and too intense, or I should say of too much sun is when it's bright and intense and your eyes start to say like, oh, this is too much, you know? And so then you would go in the shade, Uh, you know, you'd have enough. But if you have sunglasses on, you can kind of just be like, "Ah, I feel really good. The sun feels really good on my skin and I don't feel anything in my eyes. So it's almost like you can trick yourself and overdose on the sun via your skin. And there's evidence to show it's not let's say, conclusive, although the evidence is pretty strong from one study in particular. and There may be more at this point now, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Um, anyway, the uh, I should say I, I've been very much focused on, on my business and taking the practical applications of the places where the science is the strongest. This is what we do is like take the science where it's the strongest, and we know it's really solid, and that's around circadian rhythms and blue light and making that applicable for people. So I actually, um, I'm I'm now excited. I'm transitioning to a phase actually where I, I spend more time reading and researching. But like for a couple of years, that's all I did. And then a couple of years, it's been like just all in trying to get this information out in a practical way. So anyway, that's when I say that I'm not actually sure some of the latest things. There may be things that have come out that I haven't read. But anyway, so there's evidence that ultraviolet light through our eye actually stimulates the process of melanin production in our skin because again the eye is that master controller like we were talking about earlier for the hormones and neurotransmitters and signaling and all this stuff it's through the eye it's the sensor of the environment right and so what that means is that if you're wearing sunglasses it could actually be telling the brain like hey you don't need to produce as much melanin in your skin because it's actually not as bright out as we thought but in reality we want more melanin to be produced in our skin if it's really sunny out, because that way we don't burn. We don't, you know, we, we reduce our risk of things like skin cancer and excessive damage from ultraviolet light because melanin absorbs those wavelengths. It's very good at absorbing them and basically uh, rendering them harmless to our to our cells. But if we don't have as much melanin, that's where we lean, uh, you know, bring ourselves towards sunburning and again potentially towards long term risks of, of excessive exposure to ultraviolet. So, yeah, sunglasses, I would say, are not ideal. If we wear sunglasses, we're not. And, you know, just put it plain and simple as well. from yes, about the benefits. Like, if we're out in the morning and we want that blue light from the sun to actually stimulate our circadian rhythm and get all those wavelengths of light, I, again, it depends on the type of sunglass, but pretty much they're all going to distort the spectrum in one way or another, reduce the intensity. So, we're not going to get that proper stimulus we need for our biology.
1: Really appreciate that in-depth answer. I love the science that you're going into. I've heard you talk about the researcher, I don't know if I'm saying it right, Fritz Hollowich.
0: Hollowich, yeah.
1: Yep, can you tell me what he discovered? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. In fact, he um, he's the one who wrote this textbook I referred to earlier called, the. I didn't say the name earlier, it's called The Influence of Ocular Light Perception on metabolism in man and an animal. So it's a very bit of a long name, but you could also just search the influence of ocular light perception and I'm sure it would come up. It's a bit expensive because it's kind of out of print, it seems. But um, anyway, what he discovered, so there's a few things. I can speak to what what I've read in this textbook in, in, in particular. Um, he compiled a great amount of data that already existed around how light passing through the eye influences various systems, and this is what I referred to earlier. And then he also did research on his own, uh, where he basically proved the existence of what I believe he called the non-visual pathway, quote-unquote, of how light could influence the body. Now, back then, this is in the late 40s and 50s, that they were doing this research, if I remember correctly. The science wasn't necessarily strong enough at the time to understand the exact mechanism of how this light is actually affecting the brain and the body, but he knew that there was this quote-unquote non-visual pathway that existed, meaning that light somehow is affecting our body in ways that have nothing to do with what we see. Like, so... When we walk out and we look toward the sunrise, we can't feel per se. We might feel it in certain ways, but we can't necessarily sense with our visual sense that the light is actually waking us up. Like we might feel our eyes kind of perk up and and kind of uh, water a little bit, and okay, that's their reaction to the light. They're trying to cool themselves and absorb the light. You know, there's we might feel in our body more energy, but that's totally separate from our visual processes, right? So like if you actually go in the sun and you, and you feel good in your body, even if your skin's covered, but you feel this sort of a wakefulness that occurs, well, that would be a basically a non-visual effect because it's not like you see the effect like you see the colors in your environment, right? So he was fascinated by this. And so that's why he compiled all this previous research and then did more research And it was amazing. Some of the things they found was that uh, just changing the exposure of the eye to light could change uh, all sorts of different blood metrics. So for example, there are people who after after they would get a cataract surgery, they would put in these lenses and they tested and found that people who had these these lenses removed, I don't know if they actually put in these intraocular lenses when they would take out cataracts back in the day. But so anyway, cataract is where this part of the eye basically gets um, opaque. So light doesn't come through as it should. And so they would take this out and the changes in these people's metabolic markers and and all sorts of different uh, measurements in their blood of different indicators of health and sickness and detoxification and so on, all fluctuated in a positive direction in general, uh, significantly fluctuated uh, when these cataracts were removed from their eyes. So what it implied to him was that there's this really significant effect that light is causing when it passes through the eye, stimulating something. And again, the research has evolved quite a bit more. We know that it has to do with light coming through the eye, interacting with the hypothalamus, master timekeepers in the hypothalamus and all sorts of other areas in the brain.
1: I really appreciate that. I heard you mention the indicators of health, which I think leads me into a good topic of high blood pressure and what's that caused from. Could you walk us mm-hmm. through that?
0: Well, I'm I'm sure there are lots of different causes of high blood pressure, but yeah, there's this really interesting uh, evidence that when we go into the sun, our blood vessels naturally dilate. So basically there's, yeah, there's an effect where sunlight causes the release of a chemical called nitric oxide in our blood vessels. And that causes the vessels to dilate, meaning like expand, and then blood can flow more freely. And so hence it actually just lowers our blood pressure. And there's actually, there's evidence, really good evidence that just some basic sunbathing on a regular basis can uh, decrease blood pressure significantly. So that to me was a fascinating thing to read, just understanding it's like a very basic physical concept. In other words, you go outside, you're in the sun without sunglasses or without sunscreen, without clothing even, and that light's hitting the skin, it's hitting the eyes, and it's basically affecting the water molecules in our cells in such a way that they're more organized and structured. Blood flows more freely. It's actually the flow of blood. I understood it's, this is an interesting thing to say. So I used to think when I was learning about this, that it was the light that actually causes the nitric oxide to be released in our blood vessels. But actually, interestingly enough, it's actually the light causing the blood to flow more effectively. Uh, with more, let's say, power, and then it's actually the moving blood in the blood vessels, which, because there's iron in the blood and it's a sort of, I guess it's a, mag- it's a charged hemoglobin, it has a, it has a charge to it, so as the, as the hemoglobin uh, proteins in the blood are flowing, they're carrying this charge, and it's actually that energy that's causing the nitric oxide in the walls of the vessels to be released, which then furthers the like the essentially stimulates further the expansion of these vessels. So it's like a very much a physical process. Like you get in the sun, it causes water and blood to flow and work better. And then that actually causes certain chemicals to be released, which then further that process help kind of, let's say, like, like a lock and a key sort of unlock certain pathways and things that cause that to go even further. So it's a really interesting um, example of how light really at a basic level, it dictates how life works, essentially. like Life is the result of light in, in the environment. There's very clear evidence that we get a lot of energy directly from the sun, and that's where the mainstream has kind of gone off the rails. It's this belief that the sun's all bad for us, but all of our energy would come from food then, according to that philosophy. But that's not really how it is. Um, I've heard estimates uh, from people, you know, much more experienced in this field than myself, that even up to two thirds of our energy comes from the sun and only one third would come from food. And so imagine if somebody takes the sun out of their life, they're literally operating on like a third of their capacity. Again, in theory, this is a bit approximate but it, it is. And if you look at the difference of quality of life or just radiance, health, energy, vitality, skin health, hair health, nail health, um, you know, again, their energy, the eyes, you can look at someone's eyes as an indicator of health in many cases. And you look at somebody who's like a, a sort of sun kissed out in the water, you know, out, just getting into nature, being active, etc. you know, doing that, and you compare that with somebody who's basically sequestered away, it's like night and day.
1: You do such a good job of teaching this subject. Can you walk us through the difference between artificial light and sunlight?
0: Uh, Light's a very interesting subject. There's physicists who spend their entire life studying light and still claim that they don't understand it any better than they did when they started. Light is this energy source that derives from the electromagnetic interaction. So there's four basic forces in physics that physicists are constantly trying to unify. There's the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, the electromagnetic force, and the gravitational force. So any light is an energy, uh, a form of energy, essentially propagation of energy that is a result of the, of the electromagnetic interaction in, in this universe. So it's a very basic form of energy uh, there's, you know, There are arguments that are made that light basically makes up everything in the universe, and it's not exactly necessarily that light makes up everything in the universe, but we could say with a relative degree of, of certainty based on, again, the physics that exists, that energy is the basis of everything in the universe. So all matter is essentially just really slowed down, like a very slow form of energy that we can perceive, and it's so slow that it actually appears solid to us. But if you look at it, and this is, again, nothing new to, that I'm saying, but all the great physicists of the last century basically understood that most of matter is empty space. So like if you look at the table in front of you, the chair you're sitting on, or even yourself, it's at, we're actually 99% plus empty space. Uh, and it's just the fact that there is energy there that's oscillating at a certain frequency, and our, our eyes and our senses are tuned to that frequency, to, yeah, basically to that oscillation so that it appears solid because it would be a little bit difficult from a survival standpoint if everything was always shifting and moving and and so on. You know, we needed to sort of define the borders of reality for ourselves as an organism to understand what's safe, what's not. But if, if we look a little bit deeper, like there's this kind of quote or cliche, like everything is energy, but it actually is. It's, there's no, nothing woo-woo about it. So natural sunlight is a broad spectrum, which means it's the sun as a, and they also know that the stars actually stars and including our sun are basically hydrogen fusion reactors. So they're also carrying out these nuclear processes. And in this process, they're releasing huge amounts of light. And so the sun releases this very broad spectrum all the way from x-rays to visible light to radio waves. Uh, But only a small portion of that reaches through our atmosphere, right? If all of the sun's light came right through our atmosphere, we may be just vaporized in an instant, or at least would be. It'd be it wouldn't be good for for life. Uh, You know, life might adapt. (laughs) It'd be like a big Chernobyl. You know, lots of radiation would be coming in, but our atmosphere protects us from that. Those that radiation and what gets through is visible light, and so our life on Earth is exactly the result of the wavelengths of light that come from the sun that have passed through the atmosphere. Like that's it. So what I'm trying to say is that I'm giving the disclosure. We could be wrong about the way that the mechanisms of the way things work. For example, if you were indoors actually all day and there was a dark black room, you wouldn't really be able to do anything. You wouldn't be able to get anything done. You wouldn't be able to see anything. You you probably wouldn't be able to function because without light, we can't even really function. Like they actually knew this. When they would take people and where did they put people who were political problems or opposition, they would put them in a dungeon and where do they put somebody when they really want to torture them? They put them in solitary confinement where there's no light. And it's really just illustrates how if you go to the other extreme of solitary confinement, for example, or an old dungeon in the the depths of of an old castle, you can very easily understand how just depriving somebody of light energy deprives them of their vital life force. And people will wither away um, like a plant deprived of light. It's, It's very obvious. So we've created artificial lights that allow us to think that we're still getting the light on a superficial level that we need this light that I'm referring to, the absence of which will cause you to wither away, the presence of which will cause you to flourish like a plant or to blossom. We trick ourselves with artificial light to think that we have that light cuz you say oh it's bright it actually it isn't just about our thinking brain and our cognition it actually stimulates hormonal systems to produce cortisol to keep us awake and keep us energized but again the full power source isn't there so a base level analogy that's not exactly perfect but it does the trick is like if i said i want to get the benefits of eating an orange so i'm just going to take really high dose vitamin c like there might be benefits to that but that's not the orange. That's not the whole orange. Or, you know, in any other way, if you look, p- people understand food and nu- nutrients. It's like you you can't just take an isolated quantity of a bunch of nutrients and say you have a whole food. Uh, it's just not the same. Or it's like eating only freeze-dried food. Like you're, you get something when you eat the water that's contained in food. So anyway, artificial light versus sunlight. Uh, I shouldn't say artificial light's always bad, especially incandescent lamps are pretty, the, the, they're the better version of all the artificial lights, LEDs and fluorescent lights are pretty bad in general. Although again, if they're used correctly, we're like, we're making my company, we're making LED based light therapy devices using LED technology in a way that's compatible and helpful for our biology. So it can be done properly. It's just that because the manufacturers don't know that light is disruptive or or has even has an effect on our body. Period, besides vision, they're not accounting for these things. And that's where the issue comes in for people. You go to your office, you go to your university, or wherever somebody is, or even their home, and the lights aren't selected based on are they good for my biology? Because that's not a consideration at all i mean now it's becoming a little bit more of a consideration because people are aware that like it affects your mood so some people have bougie lighting installers come in and do all this cool stuff but even then they might make it look nice but they're not necessarily they might put in you know these edison looking bulbs but they'll be the fake led version not the incandescent version because they don't understand how the wavelengths affect their health so there's so much that can be done here and that's the the gist of that
1: Hello, this is your reminder to make sure that you've put your arms overhead for the day. And I wanted to remind you that when you use my affiliate link from my website, you're helping to support my business. You can go to ashleydealey.com slash raw optics to check out the blue blockers Matt is talking about today. When you buy a pair using my affiliate link, you help support this show. I have a pair of the screen lenses, which block 30 times more harmful blue light from your LED smart devices than most other clear blue blocking lenses available today. The lenses that Matt is talking about have been designed and developed with some of the world's leading experts on light protective technology. And if you're open to it, you could see how a pair of blue blocking lenses can improve your health. Matt talks quite a bit about the science behind light, and one of the things that I really wanted to drive home from this episode is that mitochondria are controlled by light. This means that no amount of healthy food or supplements or grounding or meditation will be able to fix your mitochondria. This is how Matt was stuck in that really tight regimen of restricting food. So if you know someone struggling with a chronic illness, I personally would recommend that they get outside more, that they take their sunglasses off and that they stop wearing sunscreen and expose themselves to the sun for at least 20 minutes a day. That's my two cents that I wanted to share with you, so we're going to keep going in to the science. and learn a little bit more about Matt's company, Raw Optics, which is named after the Egyptian god of sunlight. The sun god was the most powerful of all the ancient gods in every society because the sun was the most powerful and relevant life force on earth and still is today. So let's get back to the show. Now, you did get into some of the wavelengths, which is where I wanted to discuss raw optics and how buying those regular clear lenses that are blue blockers on Amazon are not as effective as something with a hue to them.
0: So essentially, with that being said, that artificial light can disrupt biology, our brain receives the signal of the light and basically understands, oh, the sun just came up. It's time to wake up. But actually, from billions of years of biological evolution our system evolved such that when the sun would go down it's actually time to rest and regenerate and repair ourselves like that's what that's what we evolved for so again it's not like it's not saying that artificial light is innately bad or something but our system evolved in one context in one environment where darkness and the absence of light allowed for melatonin to be secreted, which allowed for our cells to heal and regenerate and eliminate oxidative damage and all this stuff so that we can continue to function properly. But we've changed our environment significantly to where we now have this artificial light that's kind of all around us at night. And if you're outdoors and it's primarily dark, it's, it's still not that necessarily big of an issue. Although if you're in some cities, they have these crazy bright street lights which become a problem. So this artificial light at the wrong time of day or at the time of day when our biology is designed to be repairing tells the the brain and the body don't make melatonin. It's time to make more cortisol, the stress hormone, stay awake and not go into a healing mode. So then people have sleep problems because they're looking at screens right before bed. And that's like straight into the eye. So people are having issues with sleeping uh, having issues with their health as, as a result. And that's a, in my opinion, a pretty big issue to be considered uh, that people could benefit tremendously from, from becoming aware of, you know, the effects of, of melatonin are, are very positive and, and there are many like reducing, uh, there's so many things that have been said about melatonin. I can just rattle off some like decreasing melatonin has been linked to decreased tumors in cancer, uh, decreased growth of tumors, weight loss, uh, decreased weight gain, uh, increased metabolism, like carbohydrate metabolism. So better function of our body's ability to burn, you know, sugars and things like that, which makes sense because when the engines are repaired and work better, you're going to burn things better. Uh, Decreased cravings. Um, There's so many different things that melatonin, it's the number one antioxidant, anti-aging, anti-cancer molecule for our body. So it's a very important molecule. And we should do what we, what, what needs to happen to make melatonin properly, which is get exposed to sunlight in the morning. Like I have an open window right here. That's like full on light coming in. And I also have a blue light filter on my computer screen. So even though I put on my glasses earlier, I don't actually really need to wear them because otherwise I'm actually blocking out the full spectrum of the sun. But Anyway, people need to get out. So melatonin, you can't just be in darkness and make melatonin. You actually need the stimulus of sun in the morning. You need the light in the morning and the darkness at night. Anyway, so um, blue light blocking glasses are a solution that people can use. And I learned about this early on as I got into light. People can use blue light blocking glasses to protect themselves from the effects of artificial light at night. You know, uh, you can also change the lights in your house, which is something we're working on because there aren't any really great solutions right now. So we're working on some really great solutions in the interim. People can use things like candles, Himalayan salt lamps, uh, stuff like that. Warm old incandescent bulbs. If you can buy them like the incandescent Edison bulbs that are very dim, people can use these kinds of things in their house. You know, some people use like red light bulbs. I personally don't prefer the monochrome like pure red or pure yellow. To me, it just doesn't look good. I'd rather have a very warm white. Uh, almost golden, like an old school Thomas Edison incandescent bulb. Anyway, so in the, in the meanwhile, and when you go out, even if you change the lights in your house, you might not be able to change all the lights at all the restaurants and the car headlights and the street lights in your environment. So the glasses serve as a very practical way to affect this. Now, The issue with clear lenses. So there's two different kind of markets or focuses for blue blocking glasses that one is screen protection and protection from screens and artificial light primarily during the day. And that would be protecting the retina from actual damage, which can be caused by this blue light when it's not balanced by all the different wavelengths of the sun, especially near infrared, which is more healing. So that's one use is daytime retinal protection or, you know, blue light can cause retinal damage, so the glasses are focused on the retinal protection aspect. Then the other totally separate function, totally separate use, is that blue light can disrupt melatonin secretion at night when we want melatonin to be secreted to sleep, and so that's a different function. So we'd want to block the blue light in order to allow for natural melatonin secretion. So we have two different products at my company for, for these two different functions. One are called daylight lenses, Which people can use when they're exposed to blue light during the day from screens and so on to again block this blue light that can cause retinal damage and i would use this anytime you're primarily exposed to artificial light in the environment anytime you know if like even if you're behind windows windows actually filter out a lot of the near infrared light so even though it's technically sunlight when you filter out this near infrared you actually create a relative increase in blue light exposure sunset lenses are nighttime lenses Sunset lenses are more reddish, the daylight lenses are more yellow. They block more light. And in, in addition, so the sun, the daylight lenses block about 95% of the all blue light. Sunset lenses block 100% of blue light, effectively 99.99999. Um, you know, even and, and in and in any regular conditions, it's effectively 100%. We use very high intensity uh blue flashlights and to test our lenses and make sure they're really strong under All conditions, but so they block effectively one hundred percent of of blue light, the sunset lenses, and about ninety percent of all green light. And so, these clear lens blue light glasses actually block blue light up to four hundred twenty nanometers, but then their protection tapers off to where, by the time it gets to four hundred fifty nanometers, the center of this blue light peak, it's effectively zero percent protection. And so, the point is that these clear lenses they block some kind of blue light which you could find in the sun but not the kind of blue light not the wavelengths of blue light that's emitted by our modern artificial sources which is what they're specifically claiming to protect from including screens and therefore it's a big issue because we it's just it's literally a scam selling selling something they're saying it has this effect but it, it really doesn't so that is why clear lenses don't work
1: I appreciate Um, that answer. And those examples, I want to touch back on two things that you mentioned. So you said you have a blue light filter on your computer. Is that flux that you can download for free?
0: Yeah, I use Iris actually, which I prefer because it is a little more customizable. And you can actually dim the brightness of the screen without inducing flicker. So most computer screens, when you dim them, you actually create more flicker. But with Iris, I've actually tested it, you can dim it and the way it affects the software somehow causes it so that the screen doesn't flicker. And the flicker, we didn't talk about much, but basically, like the sun's light is effectively constant, but modern lights that are plugged into, unless they're battery powered, so any lights that are plugged in, and it's interesting because a computer is battery powered, but the light, so it doesn't flicker much when it's at 100%, but when you dim it, it flickers more. So art like lights that are plugged in flicker because of the alternating current of the electricity on the power lines it's not like just a d- direct current constant it's on and off on and off on or like back and forth back and forth and that actually back and forth is like what sort of excites the different appliances to function uh, but anyway so that's why lights that are plugged into walls flicker essentially hundred percent of the time except incandescent bulbs they don't really because the filament just heats up and even though it's effect- it's the stimulus is, is still alternating. The, the filament heats up to a point where it's just basically projecting incandescing light uh, constantly. But so LEDs and fluorescence flicker typically quite a lot. And so that flickers so fast that we don't perceive it. But again, it has an effect on our on our biology. It basically can create stress. It can kind of disturb our brain waves. Uh, so when we're talking about flicker in the screen, it's basically that same flicker. It's like an imperceptible. It's too fast for us to see, but it's in a way subconsciously stressful for our brain.
1: One of the other things that you mentioned were, were windows, and that you should just open them because that can help offset the artificial blue light.
0: Yeah, just going outside, of course, Um, there's tons of daylight almost everywhere in the world, even in the winter. Even when it's a really cloudy day, there's still something like 25 to 30% of the light is passing through the clouds. Usually it's more. That's on the darkest, grayest day, you know? So I was in Norway two winters ago in the, for the winter, and it was really beautiful to be somewhere where the days were short and I had a fireplace and I was like in the snow. And I actually loved that. I had been chasing summer for so long. I wanted this winter experience, but yeah, I made sure I would go out and get a walk for like an hour every day. And that was basically my only light exposure. But I would say going out for an hour long walk is a really effective strategy. There's actually um, some, A study that was done with people with seasonal affective disorder who went out for an hour long walk every day. And I think 29 out of 30 of the participants, their seasonal seasonal affective disorder basically disappeared, basically went away. So I thought that that was a really cool finding. And I think everyone could benefit from that information, essentially, that they can get out. There's other things you could do, for example, like having a sauna, any kind of sauna is, in my opinion, great, whether it's a, a steam, like a steam sauna. I prefer the dry saunas, uh, like they're called finished saunas often, or like the ones using real firewood would be even better. Um, you could also get a sauna space, which is my favorite personal type of sauna. It's a really great company. A friend of mine runs it. You know, I followed the company before I actually met him, and he's they make great stuff, really great products, near-infrared light, really healing. You can even, I actually have one in the other room uh one of their bulbs you could set it up and and have it kind of shining on you while you're uh you know on the computer in fact normally i would have it on me now but it happened to be in the other room and i didn't grab it so anyway uh those are some things people can do we're actually developing red light therapy panels led based red light therapy panels so the the sauna space bulbs yeah the sauna space bulbs are very hot that's the one thing so they're very beneficial like just to have in your ambient environment but they also get very hot so if you don't want the heat say it's the summer um, or even if it's the winter, but you know, for whatever reason, you'd rather have something that you can kind of keep on more consistently and not have that heat, uh, which is beneficial then the your infrared is actually very beneficial. But if you, for some reason, don't want as much of that, we're creating a red light panel where you can give yourself a very, uh, high intensity dose of the right wavelengths of red light. So most red light therapy panels are very limited wavelengths that aren't necessarily the wavelengths that are the most important for our body. They're just kind of like what people found to be, um, how do I say this? A lot of the panels are something that was being produced for agricultural, or pardon me, um, horticultural uses, like growing of plants and so on. And then they started actually studying the wavelengths that they were using, and they found all these effects uh, of those wavelengths. But the thing is, infrared and infrared have all kinds of effects. And so our idea is that we should give the body a more broad spectrum. So we're creating uh, effectively the first broad spectrum red light therapy panel that exists, again, short of something like a sauna space, which is broad spectrum by the nature of the fact that it's not LED based, it's incandescent. But so we're creating the first broad spectrum LED red light therapy panel that will have effectively a continuous spectrum across red and infrared light, especially peaking on the key wavelengths. And it'll include all sorts of really cool uh, frequency modes where people can entrain their brainwave frequencies in different ways. And uh, yeah, it's it's something that people could also really benefit from in the winter. Uh, But again, nothing replaces getting outside. So we want people to get outside still and take advantage of of that. Uh, Again, saunas uh, cold baths can be really cool. Like if you have a, a cold lake and you can jump into the cold lake and then get in the sauna and do that. I mean, that's so invigorating. It makes you feel so alive personally. Like if I have that all the time, I don't even really care if there's any sun or not. Cause it feels so good to do that. Uh, you know, those people have adjusted really well to having these really long dark winters and then really, uh, relatively brief, but very bright summers with long, long hours of daylight.
1: Add me to the wait list yeah, for that red panel. I have a few of them, but to know that yours is going to be offering spectrums that no other company does, like
0: oh yeah, God, it'll be it's going to be really cool. It'll be really <laughs> really cool. And the other thing we haven't talked about, but I'll just mention it briefly: really meal timing is really important from a circadian rhythm standpoint. I just have to throw that out there because, like, I, I recommend if I had to write a book one day, I'll probably write a couple of books one day. But like, I might write a book, and maybe someone will steal this, but called like literally called lunch, not dinner, because. It's, it's such a, it sounds so basic, but like everyone in our culture, in the Western world, for the most part, eats a big dinner and kind of late, but that's really not ideal for our biology. Our metabolism is most active around lunchtime and it would be much wiser and better for the body to actually eat a bigger lunch uh, and focus on having a lighter dinner or no dinner at all, or again, just a lighter dinner. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean salads. Raw food is actually harder to digest. So I wouldn't recommend having like salads for dinner, but like soup or something that's uh, cooked, um, but you know, maybe not heavy proteins, but having like our main meal. And a lot of people have figured this out. Like one meal a day works really well for biology. And I do think there's something to that, but if somebody's going to have one meal a day or practice fasting, it'd be better to have lunch, you know, around midday when the sun's at its peak rather than having, um, you know, big dinner. So that's something else that has a huge impact because eating late disrupts our sleep and repair. And anybody who wears a sleep tracking device like an Aura Ring can tell you that if they eat late, it disrupts their sleep. If they drink alcohol, of course, it disrupts their sleep.
1: I appreciate you sharing that. Matt, what haven't I asked you that you'd like my listeners to know?
0: Hmm, great one. I would say for me, the most most important uh, light is our inner light. Actually, all the research I've come across has implied to me that uh, our experience of the world has much more to do with the way we take care of the light that is within us. You could call it our consciousness. And the reason I came to this was because I had read all this research about light and life and energy. And I thought I understood that I could basically heal myself using light externally so sunbathing more dialing in my circadian rhythm using the saunas using light therapy and that that would help to optimize all of the chemistry in my body and to an, to a great extent i still believe that's true there's a lot of science behind it but at one point i still i found myself still feeling sort of like an emptiness that was kind of was ultimately the reason i was searching for health like for something in the first place um, was really this feeling of like I wanted to feel more wholeness, and you know I think that's where most people are. Is they're they're saying they they feel something that doesn't feel right, and then they blame it like they find something to diagnose, like oh it must be my health, and then if I could get healthy, then I'll feel whole. But actually, uh, I learned as I started to study more of the spiritual literature out there, and and people modern uh, spiritual teachers bringing in science, like Dr. Joe Dispenza, for example, and he he would would say. Uh, Things like, for example, you know, when you start, when you teach your body what it feels like to feel whole for no reason at all, just like to be able to generate the feeling of wholeness just with your mind, that's actually when you're beginning to heal. So you, you heal by feeling wholeness and not the other way around. And I can see it so clearly in the health and wellness world. In fact, the health and wellness world is actually the sickness world. Like people who are healthy, don't spend their time obsessing about diets. It's the health and wellness quote unquote world of all the conferences and the biohacking and this and that, these are the sickest people who are spending their time trying to fix it with with biohacking and all this stuff. And ultimately, and and I know this because I've been through it, like I had all these issues and I was always judging my friends for not you know, worrying about electromagnetic radiation from phones and all the little things. And at the end of the day, I, I, I realized more and more as I started to shift my energy, I realized like these are just these people are healthier than me. They're just enjoying life. They're happy and they're not making themselves sick with these toxic beliefs of fear and stress and victimization constantly. And so I really believe that the most important light that we can cultivate is our inner light, uh, and that's something I've focused much more on the last couple of years. It interests me much more than any of of the outer light stuff. To be honest, uh, I, I do believe that we can have a very big impact on. The world by creating great light therapy products, which is why I continue to do this. But to put it properly, I think the only way we can really change the world is by with our products, is if they help people to focus, if they shine and direct people to focus on the light within themselves. So, like, sort of directing people in that way to, to go inward. Uh, I, I think the the products, again, based on the science, they have a huge impact on our physical body, uh, on our biology and the way things function. I had that experience, my blood measures and all this stuff improved from some of the things I was doing for my health. But in the end, if I was living in chronic stress, and we know the research is very clear. Chronic stress causes disease in the body. And no matter what you're doing, if you're living in stress, you're sapping away all your vital energy for survival, for Cortisol for fighting and flight, fight or flight, you know, putting the energy in your muscles and not in regeneration. And so, if we can just turn off the stress response and help people be in a more uh, peaceful state, and and I'm constantly working through this, I have by no means mastered this, but I believe a huge amount of the issues and diseases people face would actually just go away um, just from that. And I I know that's true because I've seen it. Like at, at meditation retreats that I go to, there are people who have spontaneous remissions of diseases. Just from overcoming certain emotions. And so that is why I'm fascinated by that. And I think the work of light and light therapy can lead people into a deeper understanding. And so that's in addition to all the science behind it, I think that's another reason it's important because it can open people's consciousness to higher levels.
1: What a beautiful message. I really appreciate you sharing that. My pleasure. I would also recommend if you haven't already, or at least for our listeners, to watch Heal featuring Joe Dispenza because that documentary is fascinating and it's exactly what you're talking about. Amen. Well, Matt, I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Where can listeners go to find you? Uh,
0: listeners can go to rawoptics.com. That's ra and that would be for our products. People can subscribe to our email newsletter and SMS newsletter. There'll be a pop-up when you come to our website. Don't exit out. Enter your information. You'll get a discount. We'll keep you informed on really cool, uh, you know, product launches and discounts and special deals and things, some cool information, podcast appearances that come out, we'll send through there. So you'll get updates like that. And uh, people can also find us on Instagram at raw underscore optics uh and then and that's ra no w ra optics.com ra underscore optics and then people can find me if people want to contact me directly the best way is through instagram so just yeah instagram is the light diet the light diet uh, as in a diet of our light exposure like what we've been speaking about today
1: we'll make sure that all those links are in the show notes. It was a pleasure having you on the show today, Matt. Thank Thank you you so so much for your words of wisdom.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for great questions.
1: Thank you. This podcast is presented for educational and exploratory purposes only. Published content is not intended to be used for diagnosing or treating any illnesses, Disease, or disorders. Those responsible for this show disclaim any responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of this information presented by myself or my guests. The information presented on this podcast does not replace medical advice. Please consult with your healthcare provider before using any products referenced in this podcast. This podcast may contain paid endorsements for products or services. Any third party materials or content of any third party site referenced in the show do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of my guests. This podcast and my website, ashleydealy.com, represent present the opinions of myself and my guests to the show and my website. The content discussed on the show should not and does not replace medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. Episodes on Welcome to Wellness may at times cover sensitive topics, including, but not limited to, depression, suicide, abuse, violence, mental illness, sex, drugs, alcohol addiction. Psychedelics, hormones, the Women's Health Initiative, and the use of plant medicines. You are advised to refrain from listening to this podcast if you are likely to be offended or adversely impacted by any of these topics. The information or opinions expressed in the Welcome to Wellness show are solely the views of the individuals involved and by no means represent absolute facts. Opinions expressed by the host and the guests can change at any time. The views of my guests are solely their views, and the Welcome to Wellness show does not accept responsibility for them. Such views are the views of my guests. Any action you take on information contained within the show is strictly at your own risk. The Welcome to Wellness host, Ashley Dealey, will not be liable for any losses or damages in connection with the use of this podcast. You should take all necessary steps to ascertain the information you receive from this podcast is correct and has been verified. None of the guests or contributors on the Welcome to Wellness podcast will be responsible for your use of the information contained therein. Under no circumstances will the Welcome to Wellness show or my affiliates, partners, suppliers, licenses, or guests appearing on this show be liable for any direct or indirect or consequential damage arising from your use of or inability to access this podcast. All intellectual property rights belong to Ashley Daly included but not limited to the copyright and any other rights in the design. You are permitted to use the Welcome to Wellness podcast for personal use but not for commercial use without license. You may not make any recordings of or otherwise copy this podcast if you breach these terms you lose the right to access the welcome to wellness podcast and you must destroy or return any copies of the recordings you have made guests on the welcome to wellness podcast may at times provide information on or read extracts from third parties copyrighted work the Welcome to Wellness podcast does not provide any medical or professional advice within these episodes. Anything said should not be taken as replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. If you take any action or inaction as a result from the content you consume from the Welcome to Wellness podcast, this is based solely on your decision and the Welcome to Wellness podcast and Ashley Dealey and my guests cannot be held liable for any of the consequences of such action or inaction. We cannot be held responsible for any psychological impact that the Welcome to Wellness podcast may have caused. Thank you.